Hey everybody, this is Sam and you're listening to the Deep End Podcast, the show that provides you with juicy relationship, sexual and personal development tips. A podcast for deep thinkers and feelers who love personal growth and want to experience healthy relationships. Okay, so today I have a special guest and we're going to be talking about something a little bit not so much relationship orientated, but it is about personal development and it is about how we can be, you know, better humans within ourselves. And this person's name is AJ. He's a very young 22-year-old Aussie-born farmer at times, loves to surf, is very driven and will stop at nothing to see the agriculture industry change for the better. Living on the Sunshine Coast, he has a huge passion for working with businesses, farmers, and individuals as a consultant selling industrial and home water ionizers, which is going to be one of the things that we'll be talking about today. So AJ's actually created his own business around this and has had a huge passion for also sharing the health benefits of drinking ERW, which we're about to find out what that means, and why people need these ionizers in their homes. So thank you so much for joining me, AJ. it's been a long time coming to have this conversation. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been oh such a long time coming. I've been so excited and looking forward to this. It's been great. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Thank you for joining me. So I'd love to start off with, like, what got you into the agriculture? Like, obviously, you've been born and raised 22. You've worked on farms. What made you decide to do what you do? in why are you so passionate about agriculture is the question yeah yeah well it's it's sort of like a it's an interesting sort of journey because it's like it's actually been ingrained in me since I was like a little boy because my great-grandpa he was um you know a farmer and his like his father and his family before them him were farmers as well down in Victoria and you know they were farming uh like onion seed and things like that supplying a lot of that Um, to Western Australia. So it's sort of been ingrained in me and I grew up around it and watching him like grow vegetables in the backyard. And it always has been a part of my life. And then it wasn't until many years later though, when I was a young um, teenager, where I was actually like starting to actually get into this like properly and actually understand how to grow food properly and um, have like a passion for, you know, health sovereignty, clean food, you know, no chemicals like in produce and then it wasn't until recently that I really uh the last like two years where I actually started to like step into the regen farming space um and learning like about syntropics and permaculture you know agroforestry you know regenerative agriculture and all those sort of things so it was it was quite an interesting journey and it's for to step into it really young you know especially because I didn't grow up on a farm um, I'm quite fortunate because now I actually have seen sort of both sides of the coin in a sense. And that's really made like a huge difference in my life because now I can also educate others on that um, and show them that this is like a really great way that we can move forward um, as a planet and a people and create food sovereignty and food security for everyone. And it doesn't need to be this industri- industrial sort of indoctrinated like industrial agriculture that just sprays a chemical uh, fertilizer or pesticide or or like spray for one thing, you know, or two things or whatever it is. So it's just, it's this way of moving forward without those toxic chemicals going into our environment and into our bodies, which is cool. 
Yeah, I so. really love that. And so you mentioned a few things that I want to touch on, like centropic farming, permaculture farming. These are words that I only recently learned about, like permaculture, maybe, okay, five years ago, but like centropic, I only learned about this year and I still yeah. don't fully understand it. But before we get into that, I'd love to know why is it that these toxic chemicals, and I note that I'm using the word toxic, but why is it that these chemicals that our food that we're ingesting is being sprayed with why is it so bad i'm imagine imagining people thinking like yeah they wouldn't they whoever they are the people that are like i guess dealing with the um quality of all this stuff wouldn't let us ingest anything that's bad for us but what is it actually doing like really <laughs> yeah that's that's like a whole rabbit hole, but I'll try and like keep it sort of dot pointed in a sense because so it's like this sort of the sort of principle that I like to think about. And it's actually quite interesting when you start to look at it and you start to break down like the, the actual like facade that they've put out there because, you know, they say, well, we need to use this chemical to increase production and then actually get it to the market. And it's like, well, that's the industrial sort of old school approach is like we use, you know, a glyphosate or we use some sort of like chemical spray that's made up of some sort of chemical compound, which is a forever chemical, essentially. And that's what they're starting to call these things. And these these forever chemicals don't just go away. A lot of them, you know, they once they're sprayed onto our crops, you know, they're in our food that we're ingesting, but they're also in our soil, they're in our waterways. And we're starting to see a lot of issues around like when we're spraying these uh, chemicals and these toxins out onto the fields and then they're running into the waterways, you know, we're seeing like full ecosystems being degraded. We're seeing um, our water tables being contaminated. So it means when you put a bore down, you know, our, the drinking water from that's being contaminated, you know, and then it's just obviously the food that's coming to our plates, you know. So what's interesting is that, you know, they put it out there, they say it's, it's food safe, you know, it's this, it's that you know, it's safe for us to consume in small quantities, but it's like, well, out of like all of the, the all of the chemicals that they're actually using out there today, even if it's organic, there's only like 5% of them is the, the statistic off the top of my head um, that I've actually had like clinical testing to see if there's actually side effects in the human body. So like, that's a wild number because like these days, it, like, you know, the average person, um, these days is exposed to it's 173,000 toxins and chemicals every single year. So every single person is exposed to around 170,000 chemicals. Like the average, I think it's the statistic came from like the average US, USA like citizen uh, was like 173,000 chemicals every single year that they're exposed to. Um, and then that That's number is increased. Yeah, it's crazy. And then that number is increasing by two to 3,000 chemicals every year at the moment. And that's in everything. That's not just food and agriculture. That's, you know, in our water, that's in our, in the air. It's, you know, when we're driving down the street, it's in our, like our cosmetics, beauty products, skincare, like everything. And it's, it, it's wild. And, and that's where, you know, this sovereignty and this awareness of what exactly are we putting in our bodies? How do we vote with our dollar? and support our local farmers and go to farmers markets and ask them, you know, is this spray free? You know, it's, it's, there's all these different ways and things we'll probably get into and break down as we go further into this. But it's like, once you start to unravel 
what's happening of like in and then break get rid of that facade and you see the truth behind like the industrial agriculture industry it, it, it's it's actually quite shocking and we have um we have 25 years so one farming generation to turn the ship around before it gets to a point where it's too late and our soil is too far degraded to bring back but at the same time at the same time it's like well regenerative agriculture is proving to us that with animals in the system you know cover cropping and natural sequence farming we can actually turn the ship around within 10 years so and they said i said something the other day i put up was like it's if in 10 years if every farm in the usa so um, an agricultural farm in the usa was like practicing like a regenerative approach um we could basically sequester all of the carbon that's been produced since the industrial age which is like huge it sounds it sounds full on and it sounds huge um and also like just wild so you're saying five percent of food is being tested for adverse effects that's it only five percent of the food's being tested so there's like it's the chemicals that they're testing so they've only tested about five percent of the chemicals they've been using in agriculture um properly in a lab to see if the side effects in human in the in our bodies that's kind of scary yeah and that just like honestly opens up the can of worms of like the the we've got the agriculture industry and then we have yeah. the medical industry yeah which are all there to make a profit because they're industries yeah that's right um yeah wow this is why i go i go organic like i mean and you said something really interesting that like even organic you can't really because what's going on there is it the, the, the quality of the soil we're not getting the nutrients or what yeah so even with organic um this is where people can get caught in the organic like label because even in organic they've got a certification yes and that's great um but what what's actually happening behind that certification is first off that farmer needs to wait it's about five years for their farm to be certified organic so from the point that they want to be certified they've got to go through all these things and it's usually about a five-year period that they go through to get the certification which costs around a hundred thousand dollars for that farm or more so it really depends it's quite a lot of money especially for small farmers and then at the same time so they actually have a list of about a hundred and it's like 104 uh, chemicals and things like that in Australia. So the ACOS, which is Australian Certified Organic Standards in Australia, has yeah, it's about a hundred chemicals uh, that they can use within the actual farm, um, and they're usually like mercury-based or sulfur-based or heavy metal-based chemicals, which are building up in our soil, they're building up in our plants, and then building up in our bodies. And it's not good long term. So there, it's a a lot natural it's a lot more natural than our, our like laboratory sort of there's still a lot of them laboratory made but in terms of our toxic like glyphosates and things like that our you know roundup and those things that are being sprayed around properties you know they're a lot better but they're still not like the right thing and the thing is because it's certified organic it's a lot more expensive so farmers are actually less inclined to actually want to buy them and actually go the conventional way because when they want to go organic or they want to go spray free, it's a lot harder because, 
you know, they're getting stock loss because, you know, they're, they're getting insects and, you know, fungal diseases within their crops. You know, they're, they're not, they're not supported and like given money from the government to spray the toxic chemicals because I've taken, I've stepped back and said, we don't want to do this where, cause you know, there's actually some, um, some grants and things like that given to farmers to actually spray chemicals within the farming industry. So in the agriculture industry, which is crazy because so what, what that means is that these, these government grants given to farmers to actually allow them to buy these chemicals to spray on their crops. Wow. So the government is basically endorsing toxins to be sprayed onto the food that we are ingesting. Our yep. children are eating and we're having like, I mean, I'm not a professional doctor, just FYI, <laughs> but you know, I'm observing a lot of intolerances to food. I'm going through my own experience with my own body having really wildly crazy symptoms of obviously coming from my gut at being out of balance, my gut flora being out of balance because I've been taking antibiotics all my twenties because yeah. it's a symptomatic approach, which yeah. I noticed the medical industry, Western medicine focuses on symptoms, not cause. And I do believe that food is our medicine. So this is a huge problem when you have government bodies funding farmers to basically spray this shit out of the vegetables and food that we're eating um, with toxins that can potentially cause long, long-term effects that we don't even know about. So what mm-hmm. I'm noticing is that there's obviously a, a huge population of people on the planet at the moment. And so we need to, we've got systems in place to feed those of us. I don't even want to go into how much food is wasted and how many resources we have available to us to ensure that not every single human being is starving on this planet. This is a very passionate topic of mine because I see us as this big ball in the sky or whatever you believe. But like, you know, we're all in this together. Where did we lose our way? Like, where did like, where did money and greed become so overpowering that like we forgot our true innate compassion and what it means to be a human where we support each other in like we're only here for 80 to 100 years really like what kind of impact can we have in that time that we're on this planet and how many people can we support and love and nurture so that's another topic which I digress but (laughs) The resources that we have, like what I'm noticing is that we've obviously got all these things in place to support a huge population. So what's an alternative to that? Like how do we fix this problem? You're saying 10 years, you're saying 25 years, you're dropping these numbers, which are huge numbers. Like that's not a lot of time to change the whole way the world is functioning and working and operating at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting because, you know, we have solutions, we have things in place. And this is where I really love to talk about you know, we can talk about the bad day. You know, we can talk about the bad until the cows come home, literally, because, like, it's one of those things where everybody is talking about that and everybody is focusing on that. But it's like, well, let's actually turn this around because what I've noticed, and it's like something I learned the other day through the guy who, um, his name's Damien, who created 2040, the um, documentary film about regenerative, like, new ways to turn the climate change story around essentially. And basically his whole film, he talked to a lot of like different psychologists around the world about how he could approach this. And he said, they all said to him, nobody wants to hear like maybe 30 years ago, people would be a bit more like shocked about bad news, but because there's so much bad news constantly being like broadcasted out there, like no one has time for it anymore. But if you talk about the good, 
people are going to like be inspired to change. And this is where I go, well, let's start to talk about the good. Like when I learned that, I was like, yes, that, I totally agree. You know, let's talk about the solutions. Let's talk about what we can do to empower ourselves, power others to make the change. So for me, you know, let's like, let's, it's pretty, like, it's not as simple as it sounds, but like if you break it down, it's simple approaches. Um, and if you put it into steps and look at it, like the time frames, the time frames are sort of like there, they are there, but we don't need to be thinking about, about them too much. But from what I'm hearing from all of the regenerative farmers in Australia specifically, I'm not going to talk about other countries too much because it's not my area, but obviously it's, it's a very similar sort of situation. Um, I know the USA is much like worse than Australia, but at the same time, like Australia's had very similar issues with glyphosate and Roundup and stuff like that. But if we look at regenerative agriculture as one solution, um, like one solution um, in Australia that can make a massive impact, that that is what will turn around Australia's agricultural industry, because you know, especially when it comes to grazing. So if we if we practice a holistic grazing approach, which is cattle um, cattle grazing, so you know, cattle growers, uh, cattle farmers specifically, can practice these approaches where they're using an approach where they're rotating cattle every single day, so they're not staying in one paddock too long, which is degrading the soil long term, degrading you know the plants. You know, it's it's basically just sort of stagnating. But if you constantly are moving them around the property and like into different sections and the way that they do that now is through like electric fencing and basically just moving them every day at a certain time and getting into a routine with that and what that allows what that allows to, to happen is you know the cattle go to one one sort of field and then they go and graze that field and then they're moved on so then you know when they are you know pooing the poo's going back to the ground you know that's creating more rich like soil you know the plants have time to also like come back so then they grow uh, bigger and higher and then the roots also go deeper which is aerating the soil which is sequestering more carbon but what's really interesting is also the, the water so when it rains there's no water sitting on if you look at a farm that isn't practicing regen farming or regen agriculture and then a farm that is the, the farm that is, all the water is actually seeping into the water table where the farm that's not is actually just sitting on top or running off into the water systems. Wow. So that's the quality of soil impacting the way the water is being absorbed. And so when the yeah. water is not being absorbed, what does that mean for the crop? So when the water is not being absorbed, what's actually happening long-term is that it's eroding the soil. It's eroding like the, the actual property itself. And then if they're spraying uh, chemicals as well, on top of that, which is only making it worse, what's going to eventually happen is it's going to turn into a dust bowl. So if it's overgrazed, overworked, essentially the grass is only, you know, this big, yay big, um, like off the ground. And then eventually it just starts getting drier because there's no water going into the water table. It's not nourishing and actually absorbing into the plants itself. Um, so that's why the roots are thin. So then it's not creating aeration in soil. Diversity goes down and then it gets harder and harder, especially if there's a drought. So you come into a drought season where it's really dry the plants die off quicker. There's no water, so there's actually no nothing to nourish the plants themselves. So the, then you have to actually feed the cattle hay or grain or something like that. Uh, and then eventually over time, that property could potentially turn into a dust bowl. And it's never too late to turn it around. And when I talk about dust bowl, it's essentially just 
dirt that's been eroded so much where it's literally like if windstorm comes through that's when it picks up all the dust and we saw we saw that down in victoria we saw that down in canberra you know massive dust storms there's been multiple events of this happening mm. and you know we really it's something that i'm looking at now and looking more and more into um you know and i, I saw this like uh it was like this sort of what was it? it was the i'm just thinking of the numbers but it's like this thing the other day so it was about 1924 to it was like a 10-year period i think from like 1924 into the 1930s or something like that when industrial agriculture was starting to become a thing in australia uh there was a certain area down in victoria that was being grazed at the time and because they were using industrial chemicals like glyphosate and things like that that they were producing back then which are a lot more harsher than they are now and then overgrazing because of the amount of cattle they actually had on that land. Um, they, it was like seven, it was seven feet of topsoil. So seven feet of topsoil uh, that was basically because of how dry it got and how eroded it got and how dead that soil got from overgrazing practice, practices, seven feet of topsoil in a certain area of land had been eroded and like basically blown away over about like a 10 year period which is wow. like mind-blowing. And there was this photo, uh, black and white photo I saw of these these children standing next to a tree stump that had been cut down uh, and they were standing next to the roots of the tree and the roots used to be in the ground and the trees, like, you could see where the tree would have been um, above ground. So, like, there's, like, they were standing at, like, the base of the roots. So it was, like, a huge amount of, like, topsoil that had been, like, eroded away. And we're never going to get that back. Like, we, that area of land now is like, started to get a bit of topsoil back, but it's only a couple inches in the last, like, since that time. So 70, 70 plus years, we've only gained a couple inches back. What the actual F? Like, seriously, how? That's so wild. So... I'm like picturing Interstellar, you know, the movie, and it's yeah. just like all dust storms and they're trying to grow corn and it's just, there's, you know, what's scary is that all these movies that come out, basically I feel like are almost like insights into the future yeah. of like this is what is possible and probable, like yeah. Black Mirror, for example, scary, you know? Yeah. So, okay, all right, so we've got the issue, we've got the problem, there's a lot happening in the planet. There's so many things that we're doing causing this. There's so many things that we can do as consumers, like purchasing food from local farmers' markets, going organic, supporting the organic industry because that in itself is expensive to run if you're running an organic farm. Yeah. Spending that extra little bit of, dollar, extra little bit of money on your health and well-being. Yeah. And so I wouldn't, I bookmarked it earlier for a reason because I want to come back to the point that you made about syntropic farming and permaculture farming. What is that? What are those two yeah. different types of self-sustainable yeah. farming? Yeah, so this this is sort of quite exciting because it comes along into regen farming as well, so regenerative agriculture practices and grazing practices where if you can, if if more and more people so another solution too, I didn't really touch on too much. And this, I'll get into it as I break this down. But essentially, if we can be supporting, if we go to the local markets, ask the farmer, okay, you know, are you growing this? Is it spray-free? Yes or no? It doesn't need to be certified organic. As long as it's spray-free and has no, no, no chemicals and no toxins, like that's what you want. 
ideally, because at the markets, there's still a lot of people buying produce from places like Rockley and, you know, just like they're buying from the big farmers markets, you know, in Brisbane. Strawberries. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we want to be sort of asking the question. So if you go to a farmer's market, go and ask, go and talk to the farmers, support them as much as possible. Because I know definitely around the Sunshine Coast, down around like the Northern Rivers, there's a lot of amazing farmers down there in these areas. And there's a lot of farmer's markets. You could just go and talk to them because one, you know, they want your, they want those conversations. They want our support, you know, they're already having a hard time as it is with all this rain, um, you know, and it's like it's basically this time where because of how much rain we're getting, these systems like Syntropics and Permaculture are really perfect and regen agriculture because what happens is that as we build soil, and soil is the base, like soil is really where it's at. If we don't have good soil, we don't have good health, and it's a direct representation of, if we don't have good soil, we don't have good gut microbiomes, we don't have good bacteria in our lives. And essentially that's when our, our nutrition and our food that we're growing in the ground is starting to go towards that sort of like what we call a dead nutrition or a void. It's just like no nutrition in that that produce. And, and that's what we're seeing in, you know, monocropped agriculture and farming practices where it's like one crop of broccoli or one crop of like monocrop corn or something like that, that's been sprayed with chemicals. And it's the same crop year in, year out, you know, constantly pulling nitrogen and different, um, um, different nutrients from the soil. And then eventually you can just feel it. It's empty nutrition, you know? So if you go and have conventional food from the supermarket, like I'm never, ever satiated from that food because I know the difference between food that's been growing in a permaculture system or market garden or something like that, that's got, you know, biodynamic principles or, you know, it's got manures in there. It's got the nutrients in there. It's got all the things that you need to support a healthy living ecosystem. You know, it's got animals in the system. It's got everything, mycelium, fungal, you know, fungal bacteria, everything that you want to actually nourish your body alongside with having you know, animal products, like good quality, like real food, you know, it's totally different. And this is where Syntropics comes in for me and big time. I, I I know quite a bit about permaculture. You know, it's not my speciality, but, you know, I'm happy to like touch on it. Essentially, permaculture is permanent culture. So you're creating a culture around systems of growing food, creating villages, collecting water, you know, ways of building houses and homes that are off-grid, you know, supporting systems and families and communities so that's why it's, it's that permanent culture of building living systems around people and, and then this is where we bridge in syntropics and agroforestry so, so agroforestry for people that don't know was invented by well not really invented but it was basically adopted by a french guy who went and studied in brazil um, in south america and he basically come up with this idea of studying you know with the locals there and working within the rainforest and he found what they were doing was basically fast-tracking these market gardens sort of like huge massive like i'm talking massive scale systems um and regenerating soil on a large-scale way by going in and basically having what we call tree rows and then like undercover sort of um inter intercrops planted in between the tree rows where you know you come in and you're you're taking off a certain percentage of the top of the tree rows and then mulching that back into the soil. And then there's multiple ways that that bridges in to 
um, in, in basically multiple ways that bridges into modern systems, market gardens, you know, bringing in horticulture beds and all those sort of things. But what's really cool about Syntropics is that it basically fast, it, it emanates the forest and how the forest works. So when you grow food, you know, in our tree rows, we you might have bananas in there, eucalyptus trees, fruit trees, avocados, mangoes, et cetera, things like that. And you emanate those tree rows, and that's basically your your fuel, your your food for your system. Because the rows in between um, those tree rows will be your food beds, so your horticulture beds or something like that. And then the walkways, usually we lay logs or wood chip, which are our living, our living walkways. And then that's also nitrogen and carbon in the soil that we're like putting back in the ground. So it's basically the few systems that I've set up, it's crazy. You know, you go in, you put, you know, after six months of you setting up a system, you can put your hand into the soil almost up to your shoulder. Like it's that because you're not tilling, you're not like pulling anything up, you're not doing anything to disturb the soil. So it's not compacted. It's absorbing the nutrients. It's absorbing water. And the, the amount of life that happens, like within six months, is mind-blowing, you know, like it's wow. crazy. Yeah, because, um, yeah, we've got friends who have got a syntropic farm out. Um, well, you work for Brad, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I was just blown away. That's when I found out about syntropic farming. I was like, this looks insane. How is it? And I was, I think it was a year ago that they started yeah. creating it. Were you part of that project? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I was, I was heavily a part of it, not initially in the beginning. Um, I did a little bit of stuff in the beginning to help them out. And then it wasn't until a bit later I sort of jumped in at times. But at, at that time of them setting it up, I was working on another property by myself um, setting up. It was a 27-acre property. That was an old 30-year-old fruit orchard. Um, and I was setting up that property and just turning it into, we were doing a bit more gorilla garden. Like it, it was his personal backyard farm where we would just go in and we would plant whatever. It was like sort of, it was sort of like operation, get as many plants and as much carbon back in the soil as possible. Not that his soil was degraded. His soil was already quite healthy. Um, so, you know, we brought in quite quite an amount of a uh, large amount of like animal manure. So chicken and cow manure with fungi mixed into that that we were putting back in the soil, you know, we were planting banana trees and, you know, there was already mango, heaps of mangoes on the property. We were just like mulching as much like wood chip back into the soil as possible as well, you know, capturing water. Um, and, you know, in three months from when I was spreading cover, cover crops, so it was a mix of, you know, buckwheat and sunflowers and, you know, daikon radish to like aerate the soil and all those sort of things. And within three months of, you know, cover cropping, letting pumpkins run wild, like, you know, I walked out one day after some really heavy rain and not being there for a week and it just turned into a forest. Like half of the cover crops were like eight foot tall, you know, the amount of uh, nutrient that we could just chop and drop back into the soil and work back through was crazy. You know, you'd walk through as a jungle within three months. That's you know? wild. So, yeah, this is something that Brad was talking about as well. He was like, it was just the crops would grow so quickly. And I was yeah. like, I don't understand how it works. Thank yeah. you for explaining it to me now. So, <laughs> you know, somebody who lives in a townhouse like I used to, I would not have had the space or availability to do this sort of thing. But now I have a nice, gorgeous yard. And, you know, like how do we if, how do we make this self-sustainable and have enough food to last us, you know, throughout 
seasons. Yeah, like at home, are you talking about? Or? Yeah, at home, yeah. So it just depends, I suppose, in terms of like how much work you want to put in and if you want to get people out to to retrofit your property or you want to try to do it yourself through your own research uh, or, you know, or someone like myself advising you on how you could approach a situation like that. Uh, and it, it, it's quite interesting because, so, you know, for a quarter acre block, you know, you could you could feed quite a large amount of people on a quarter acre block. So you, you don't need much space. Um, and especially, especially this there's a big um, movement at the moment of like retro suburbia. So it's like basically suburban farming um, within you know suburban areas. So growing in pots, growing in raised garden beds, you know all of those sort of things. You know, growing potatoes in like tire stacks or log stacks. You know, it's 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 all these unique, you know, vertical growing with hydroponics. You know, there's all these new unique sort of systems that you can start to incorporate into a backyard system. So for someone like yourself, I mean, I haven't seen the property, but you know, you could grow in pots and just grow your leafy greens, so you don't have to buy them at the supermarkets or, or the or the farmers markets. You know, and that's a really affordable, easy way to just grow some food at home. You know, and you know, you could probably if there's an area where you could just let some stuff go wild, you could plant some sweet potatoes and pumpkin, you know, you just let that go wild mm. because, you know, they grow so prolifically and they're the first two things I plant when I, when I start a system is pati- uh, sweet potatoes, potatoes and pumpkin because they store, they're easy, easy to store, they're easy to grow. And it literally is like, it's, it's carbohydrates, calories, nutrients for our bodies to thrive in the years to yeah. come. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. When I get a more permanent home, this is something that I want to do. Like I want to have a farm, a permaculture farm, like you've described. And I actually want to run retreats all over the world and have this kind of sort of system set up. So it's a global like space that gives people the opportunity and the insights of what's available. So how does the Kangen water, like, let's talk about that. Cause how does yeah. that come into this? Because you're very passionate about water and it's ionizing effects. So I don't even know what I'm going to say. Cause yeah. I have no idea what, how it works. So talk to me about it. Yeah. So that in itself is quite unique. So this is, this is where now, like, that's where my journey's gone now, I suppose, in terms of like, I'm still very passionate about regen agriculture. I'm still, I'm still like looking into it all the time. But when it comes into, so Kangen is what the company and Nagic, which is based in Japan, has called the machines. Um, so it's like basically this the name they've given to the machines. But the correct term that I use regularly for when I'm talking to farmers or businesses or individuals is electrolyzed reduced water. And what that basically is, is water that's gone through an ionization process, which is basically where the water passes eight titanium platinum dip plates for the household models or 12 for the industrial ones. Uh, and then it goes through this electrolysis process to split apart the, the minerals in the water to create an oxygen hydrogen um, rich water. So, but when it comes into farming, so we can separate the two between farming and then our personal health. But when it comes into farming, this is where we start to use um, electrolyzed oxidizing water and then um, we use like the electrolyzed reduced water so it's like you've got the strong alkalized and strong acidic water solutions through the machines that we use to replace you know 
the pesticides, the chemical sprays, you know, the fungicides, the thing, like things like that, even disinfectants like chlorine bleach or sodium hydroxide, things like that. We replace that by using the machines. So everybody's got access to water. This is why it's awesome because every farmer or business or individual usually has access to water and electricity these days, pretty much. And for someone who's an off-gridder or even a commercial scale farmer, because I'm, you know, I've worked with both ends of small scale to large scale farming and businesses as well. And anybody can actually utilize it. And, and it comes into nearly every aspect of their business and farm. And what's interesting, so instead of using, you know, chlorine bleach as a disinfectant, we use the 2.5 hypochlorous acid water from the machine. And what's cool is that all it needs is all you need is the machine itself, water, salt, because this needs the sodium to enhance the electrolysis process that happens. And then it creates a solution, a strong acidic solution, which is 99% more effective than chlorine bleach. And it works within 30 seconds. Oh my God, stop. I just bleached my shower this morning. It's the only bad, nasty chemical product that I use because yeah. I've not found a product that actually gets rid of mold in the shower and grime and all that sort of stuff like bleach does. So I cannot, yeah. my hands stink of bleach. Yeah. Like it's, it's such, honestly, it's so bad. And and then you got to imagine that that's going down the drain. That's going into our, our water, you know, treatment plants. And then people going and just drinking, drinking tap water, you know, unfiltered, you know, and it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. But, it's wild. And so like, with that you know like that in itself you know just a simple simple thing of water like can you use your hands can you use that water on your hands when when it's been acidified and like yeah yeah yes and it won't smell like chlorine like not well so it it actually it's which is why this is wild because when you produce the 2.5 it actually smells like chlorine bleach but it's not so you know you can drink it you can get it in your eyes you can get it on your hands it's completely 100 safe and non-toxic and the reason that is, is it's because it's just electrolyzed reduced water, you know? So it's literally just water that's gone through electrolysis with added, with the added sodium solute, like solution to add that, to create that low pH, which is pH just stands for potential hydrogen. If anyone doesn't know that. So it's, it's basically an oxidizing water. So, and that's why, you know, when we apply it as a foliar spray for, you know, aphids and insects and pests and pests within farming, it kills them within, you know, pretty much instantly so you know i did a i did a trial with a local tomato farmer and we sprayed the 2.5 for white fly which is a pest within tomatoes and as soon as we sprayed we had tomato we had white flies dropping out of the air within 30 seconds you know and it's just like poor flies <laughs> <laughs> well it's but, you know yeah. it's an issue within within his farm of course which, yeah <clears throat> you know which he would have to use he wasn't using uh conventional chemicals but you know, he was using a more organic approach, but, you know, five liters of that organic solution that he was buying cost him $500. And he, he would use that five liters within a month. So long-term over a 25-year period or more, which is how long these machines last, they can last forever. You know, he's looking at a huge number. It's over $200,000 just for that one solution. Wow. And so, okay, that's huge because obviously it's a solution to the problem in terms of like what we ingest and all the things and it's yeah. a solution to the bottom line and it's also a solution to like keeping the soil fresh and fluffy. 
Yeah, and, and you know, for farmers too, it's it's reducing costs, it's increasing their livelihoods, it's reducing the risk of harmful exposure to chemicals for themselves as well. You know, increasing yield within their crop. You know, increasing just the quality of the produce itself as well. And it's it's such a simple solution that they can just hook up and install within one day. So why is this not the solution that we're using? Like, what's the problem? Why? How is this not being funded by the government i don't understand it's because it's not known it, it's new so there's been quite there's been quite a few people over the years try to get electrolyzed reduced water into agriculture especially in australia but the problem is is that the machines that we're using were too big and too expensive uh and just too hard to set up and no one and no farmer knew how to actually use that technology uh, on that scale and some farmers are using it now um, on that level, but the industrial machines from Enagic, you know, they produce these solutions at such a low cost long-term and all it needs is a pre-filter with the machine itself. So you, the pre-filter just makes the machine last even longer. So it's just like ensuring the longevity of the machine itself. And then essentially what happens is the farmers then remove themselves from the corrupt system of like the government and, you know, that sort of stuff. They actually remove themselves from that because they're becoming more sovereign and more self-reliant because they're producing all of their their disinfectants, pesticides, fungicides, you know, for biosecurity, foliar spray, you know, all the issues they might potentially have. They can produce everything on site with one product, one solution. It's easy to install. And then basically with someone like myself coming in, then I also then advise them on, all the other things and all the other information I know. So we work together essentially. So that's how I consult for farms and businesses is I come in, we've got a piece of technology. So like agri-tech technology that comes into this and then it comes into also there's an education, there's an education process that comes into that. And it's, it's a slow, it's actually such a slow process that happens. It takes months. Like I've, I've just got, a farmer that I've been speaking to for three months onto his second trial, like literally yesterday. And, and he's got one of the biggest flowers, flower farms in, in, in Queensland. And flower flowers are one of the most heavily sprayed um, products in the world because it's not being ingested, but because they don't want insects and pests, like things like that affect or fungal diseases affecting flowers. They don't care what they spray. They just spray whatever. And then they're being exposed to that. That's wild. And then we're also, you know, having these flowers in our homes yeah. and adding to the 173,000 toxins that we expose ourselves <laughs> to each year. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. So do you think, because I just don't necessarily believe that the government is guilty all the time. I think that there's people that are running these organisations that may lack the awareness. And if they had the awareness of this, particular machine like how i mean if the people of australia are wanting this and desiring this how can we like integrate all of that into a system that is going to support long-term health and well-being for not only australia but the planet Mm. yeah so you know, I think if the demand for this gets to the point where it's like, you know, people are really starting to become aware of this, like that's that's the first step is that we need people to know about this. So it's it's been like this thing where, you know, I've been feeling quite like the progress is quite slow 
But at the same time, when you're working towards a goal, you know, for me, I have this goal where I want to see, you know, pretty much every single farm or person that's that's using some sort of chemical or some sort of spray or toxin or something like that completely just get rid of it. You know, for starters, we don't we don't need we don't need to use it. We don't need to have it within our lives and our systems. You know, it, the way that it's affecting, you know, glyphosate, for example, is one of the strongest antibiotics in the world. And, and the fact that that we're spraying that on our produce, that we're spraying that in our soils, it's running into our water systems, which is then ending up in our tap water. And, and then also so many things. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole in itself. You know, Can we just pause on that rabbit hole because I am experiencing perioral dermatitis because my gut flora is out of balance. Yeah. Because I have taken, ingested that many antibiotics in my 20s yeah. and I'm also ingesting it unconsciously, unaware in my food and my water. Yeah. What the yeah. actual hell? What the hell? So, so that that's a that's a whole a huge like people don't know this that the fact that there's in our tap water alone so even if we're showering in it we're getting exposed to it so there's this huge there's this huge thing of what happens when people are ingesting antibiotics antidepressants there was this big um study done where basically um like i'm just gonna move <laughs> but basically um so we we've got this this guy i was looking at his work the other day and he's a psychologist and he did this big research and big sort of deep dive into how you know antidepressants and, and uh antibiotics was affecting people you know all around the world and then linking it to depression and ptsd and just so many different mental illnesses but what what he found was um since basically people were starting like anybody that had some sort of mental illness was given like an anti uh, antidepressant or if someone was on antibiotics, what he was finding since that started to become a thing within the pharmaceutical industry and it was just getting prescribed, like, you know, every person, every doctor, GP, you know, if they're just indoctrinated and just doing what the book says and prescribing these pills just constantly, you know, in Australia, it's a massive issue. You know, I don't know what the number is, but it's a huge number of the population that are actually on antidepressants and antibiotics. And what's happening it's is that disturbing. It's, it's wild, and and it's linked to so many things. And and what what I find what I'm finding is that when people are ingesting these things, we're not absorbing the actual um, antibiotic or antidepressant. So what's actually happening just through our sweat, through our urine, through our, you know, our stools, it's going into our water when it's going and then it's going back into the treatment plants. And then essentially, you know, they do all the things to clean it, but there's still a certain amount of that, that that's then getting back into our tap water and then people are consuming that. And then even bottled water sources, um, even some spring water companies are using tap water or something like that. Um, which still has small amounts of these antibiotics and antidepressants in the water. That's so, fucked up. So people are just, then still consuming that. That's wild. So because I imagine I can almost hear people's voices right now asking, how the fuck do we fact check this, right? Like where yeah. can we find the studies and the research? And this is something that I just want to point out. If you're ever doing any research and looking for evidence to back, back anything, go down to the bottom of the 
article and look at who is funding that article. And this is something that I see in, oh, it fucking winds me up, AJ. Honestly, it really, really grinds my gears because I have clients that come to me and they're just like a hot mess from antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills, don't know how to feel their emotions, don't know how to navigate themselves through life because they've been numbed with these Band-Aids that just approach the symptom, not the actual cause. And... On that, they're not even being diagnosed correctly because they're not getting tested for the neurotransmitters. They're not getting tested for the hormone imbalance and they're just being given a Band-Aid. People can, yeah. I can go to the doctors right now. You can try this. Anybody who's listening can try this. Go to the doctors, tell them that you're feeling sad, feeling upset, feeling like, you know, symptoms of anxiety, look it up. Or if you've got anxiety, if you're feeling stressed. And I want to know actually how many people, if you do feel like doing this, how many doctors come back with, yeah, here's some, an antidepressant, you sound depressed, and just prescribe the pill immediately without doing yeah. a thorough check? Because yeah. I can guarantee, and this is something that I teach in my with my clients as well, I can guarantee that the issue isn't about being depressed or anxious. It's either a lifestyle choice or it's an imbalance in hormones. And what I know about hormones and how they function in the body and how they serve their purpose. I know for a fact that food and the pesticides and all the things, the chemicals that you're speaking into have adverse effects in causing imbalances in our hormones. Not only that, but also our lifestyle choices, but food, what you're speaking about particularly is what causes hormonal imbalances. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Which causes... But like that may cause depression or anxiety or yeah. yeah and, and it's, and it's not just like, you know, and, and it's not just that one thing, you know, it, it's like, it, it keeps layering. And as the, as you start to go into it, like the veil just becomes so like, it just goes away completely because oh, when we start, wild. when we start to look into, you know, what's happening with our water, what's happening with our food, what's happening with our soil. And then all of a sudden we look at the plastic you know, and, and then we look at that. Anything that's oh been exposed, God. anything that's been exposed to plastic, and if you're storing your food or microwaving your food in plastic, it, it's like the biggest no-no. And then, see, you know, seed oils come into that, like everything. So if you're buying water that's stored in plastic, there's microplastics and chemicals leaching into that, which are affecting your hormones and your testosterone levels and then your ability to even reproduce. So, you know, there's all these things with plastics, you know, they're affecting our hormones and our immunity and our gut health because of the chemicals and like microplastics leaching into that as well. It was, it's a crazy number. Basically, I think they tested like seven, it was like something like 70 products, like 70 bottled water products. And I think it was like 95% of them came back with microplastics present in the water. But then they all came back with, you know, toxic, harm, harmful carcinogenic chemicals that were actually in that water because they've been sitting on the shelf for who knows how long. Yeah. That's wild. I was actually looking at Plastic Free Mermaid's Instagram account the other day and she was like, she's, uh, do you know who Plastic Free Mermaid is? I've heard the name, yeah. Oh, my God. Epic woman just devoted her whole life to being plastic free. And she's just become a mother and she was drinking some tea. Yeah. She was like, "Uh, I'm fully aware that I'm drinking microplastics right now, but all I have time for right now is dunking this tea because usually she would rip the bag open and just have the the tea bags and all the things and loose sleep it. But 
Like, I was like, whoa, what are you telling me right now? I drink tea all the time. What? There's fucking plastic in the bag. But there's so much that we don't know. And like you said, it is a rabbit hole. So before we finish up, I'd love to get some final words from you about like what sort of what, yeah, where do you, what, what's the next step for people that have just, if this is new to them, what would you advise that they do first and foremost? Yeah, well, I wanted to say something about the whole antidepressant, antibiotic yeah, uh, story. So there's a yes, guy yes. that there's a guy that everybody should look at his work. So he's the psychologist I was talking about. His name's Johan Hari. I just have to search it up quickly. So he's got a couple books, um, and he's got a few podcasts that he's done as well on all of this. And he his podcasts are really good if you don't want to read a book. Um, but Johan Hari, so his his stuff's amazing, and he's done all the the full research and study into this. Um, and then regarding like your oh, another person too, if you want to look into the history of like chemicals, like um, glyphosate and things like that, you want to look into Ra- Rachel Carson um, and she wrote a book called Silent Spring. And essentially what happened in Silent Spring and what she wrote about is happening again now. And um, basically, you know, we've got thousands, hundreds of thousands of chemicals happening in, in the world, in Australia, in all over the world that they're using in the agriculture industry, which... We, we can no longer use. We need to abolish that and get rid of it completely. But if people are just starting, um, you know, the biggest things you can do, you know, we, we didn't go too much into water, which, you know, which is fine. Like I would, I could talk about this stuff all day, but, you know, you want to be looking at how you can start to clean up your life and get out of this, you know, this toxic sort of world and environment that's around us and get rid of like the exposures, you know, even EMF, EMF is a toxin. And people aren't thinking about that. You know, th- there's so many things. So I suppose, you know, looking at, okay, living water. So anagics, can't, like Kangen water. So the ionizers we use. Personally, I used to harvest spring water. And then I've done further research into how, you know, groundwater is starting to be exposed to chemicals and things like that and spring water sources. So I was like, well, how do we know? You know, you can test them and they're usually coming up pretty good, especially around Australia and this area. But there's some areas that are starting to get contaminated with, you know, those forever chemicals that just don't go away. So, you know, Anagix Kanga machines, the the ionizers we use, it's for me, after harvesting fresh spring water from a 40 meter underground well, I was like, after drinking this like Anagix water, I was just like, you know, the Kanga water, I was just like, that's changed my life forever. The way I feel, the way that my body detox, the amount of uses it has within your home. Because at, also at home, I don't actually use any cleaning products anymore. So I have no chemicals in my household. Completely none. You know, I heard somewhere, I think it was on one of those docos on Netflix, that the biggest cause of lung cancer is household chemicals, cleaning products. That's yeah. the biggest cause. Actually, no, I've researched this. Somebody fact check it if you're listening. But my friend's mom actually had lung cancer and I started to investigate how, because she wasn't a smoker. And I was like, how is this possible? You know, yeah. and it's these sorts of things. Yeah. And and mold, you know, mold right now oh is a God. huge issue. Um, you know, how does we've the got, water help mold? So, well, that's where the 2.5 hypochlorous acid comes in. So the 2.5 kills mold spores within 30 seconds. This 2.5 business is a thing. It's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so cool. and there's only the only product in the market that produces the 2.5 hypochlorous acid water is Synagix Kanga machines. So they're the ionizers. 
So there's only one solution to get this in your house that's non-toxic and and it's like right in front of us, but hardly anyone knows about it. So it's like the way that we get one of these machines is reaching out to someone like myself, who's a distributor for the company. And then, you know, we take you through the process to get you, get you set up. And if you live around the Sunshine Coast and or, or my local area, then I'm happy to come and set it up and install it. And then the other thing is if you're showering in tap water, our skin's the largest organ. You know, we need we need to be also showering clean water as well. And Agic produces a shower filter as well, which is amazing. Um, but then, like, if you look at other areas of life, because it's not just water, you know, water is, like, my big focus. I, I, that's, that's my number one, you know. Everybody needs to be drinking, in my opinion, molecular hydrogen-rich living structured water. You know, yeah. a lot of people say reverse osmosis is better, this is better, this is better, and it's like, well, there's science to back everything, really. But yeah. like you've you've had lived experience with the Kangen, so correct. And if if you want to do the scientific research, you, what you do, you don't search up Kangen water benefits because you find nothing. You like, there is some stuff out there, but it's very minimal. What you want to actually be searching up is electrolyzed reduced water. And if you have struggle finding like articles, you can just reach out to me. I'll send them to you. But like electrolyzed reduced water in PubMed and you'll see hundreds of thousands of peer-reviewed scientific papers on why electrolyzed reduced water is good for all of these different health conditions. So, you know, I don't say this uh, on my Instagram because of compliance, but here I can say it, which is great because what we've found is, you know, for things like Alzheimer's, dementia, psoriasis, eczema, gut health issues, GI tract stuff, so colon issues, electrolyzed reduced water has been able to heal like even tumors, you know, lung cancer, like there's been a lot of things that electrolyzed reduced water, which was produced by the ionizers we use, is being able to actually heal and actually improve the condition in that person's body. And you can start to actually look into, a lot of people get skeptical because it's like, it's just water, it's just a filter. And it's like, well, no, it's so much more. And the highlight you need to look at is, the highlights of the water itself is the oxidation reduction potential, which is basically... You know, if uh, water is oxidizing, it's basically aging you and causing it's acidic essentially. But if it's not and it's more on the alkali side, then it's it's got a negative ORP, so oxidation reduction potential, and it's basically slowing down that process. I have researched this. Google does not offer any evidence around because I had a conversation with somebody about this, some, a friend of mine who kind of like is very science-based and whatever, and he's like, yeah, bro, dude, I can't find anything on like alkalized water. And I'm like, okay, so you have the research, you have the studies, you can people can get in contact with you, you've got the yeah. proof. And I'm noticing that like, honestly, I just don't trust um, a system that is potentially going to filter out the information that is going to serve our greater good. And right. the fact that alkalized water is anti-aging it just appeals to me very much <laughs> in a vain way. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like I'm, I, for anybody listening, all of AJ's contact details will be in the bio of this yeah. podcast episode. So please, by all means, have a look at that. And if you need to get in contact with AJ, you can contact me as well. Yeah. Um, what is the best way to get in contact with you on socials, AJ? Um, so it's just my personal account is AJ Olson one. So AJ underscore Olson one. That's probably just the best page to look at. You'll find the link to my business page in there, but that's pretty right now. That's pretty quiet. I'm, I'm still just like in the process of rebranding that. Otherwise you can email me like, um, 
you know, and that's probably the two best ways of getting contact is, is that way. Um, it's always my Instagram as well. If you find that, um, and yeah, so, and then the term that, like I said before, is electrolyzed reduced water. If you want to do research, it's electrolyzed reduced water. You'll find heaps of stuff on that. If you search that into Google, you'll find a little bit, but it's best on PubMed for the scientific stuff. If you really want to look at the peer reviewed papers, um, and Thank then, you for saying that. Peer-reviewed papers, people. Yeah. This is coming from science evidence backing yeah. this information. And it's How, legit. Yeah. Like it, it, it actually, like, it works. And, and, and for me, you know, something that works, it's, it's, it's pretty quiet right now. It's, and what's great is that it's an untapped market, you know, and, and people, when they, people that get it, like they just get it and they go, how do we get one? And I go, yeah, bang. We just hook you up, and and they just get it. I'm moving to Bali next year. Like, can I travel with it? I mean, it's heavy, right? No, it's actually not that bad. The household model is only about a kilo and a half, so you can travel with it on carry on. Oh, epic! I just need because big enough suitcases for this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and because they're medical grade ionizers, so they're certified medical grade equipment in Okinawa in Japan, where they're made, and because of that, you just take this one certificate with you um like it's double-sided and it has the medical certificate on on it and then basically it allows you to travel with it internationally it's the only medical grade ionizer in the world that you can travel with internationally that's so good to know because the first time i came across one of these machines was when i was at an ayahuasca retreat in colombia and i remember drinking the water and i remember being told you know just being mindful of the alkalized water and how you know it can have an effect on the body while it adjusts to it but yeah, it was such a cleansing week. And I just remember feeling so on top of the world by the end of it. Obviously, we're doing plant medicines and doing other work as well. But yeah, yeah no, and eating clean and, and everything else. It's, yeah, it was a great week. But it's yeah, <laughs> he brought it over from America. He brought it over from Ohio. So I was like, what is this machine? Yeah, That's when cool. I first discovered it. So yeah, it's cool. So it's crazy. You, you like first got introduced there. That's like the best place to get introduced to it. Yeah, of course it is. Like during such an epic week, like one of the biggest weeks of my life. Yeah. 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 And you would have been doing dieta and everything too. What's that? Uh, oh, the, 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 the eating? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're doing all that. Yeah, it was yeah, wow. it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. Um, awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for joining me, AJ. It's been such a pleasure having you on to have a conversation about this finally. We've been... yeah. Oh, so good. Thank you. I feel like there's a part two in here as well. Yeah, there's I know that there's or like so another, much yeah. another like whole rabbit hole. <laughs> there's another rabbit hole a hundred percent. And I yeah. feel like, yeah, we will be back, guys. We will be yeah. back. Thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the next podcast. Thank you.